Our text for today comes from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Let us listen to God's word to us. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Pentecost Sunday is a day that we really focus on the Holy Spirit and the call for the church to be sent out. It's the day we remember the start of the church in Acts, the day we remember that God sends us out to every corner of the world to spread his gospel message. It's why we pair Pentecost with Missions Sunday. But in a lot of churches, it's the only day that the Holy Spirit gets any focus or attention. Why? Well, because the Holy Spirit is... Great, but the Holy Spirit is confusing. I don't care how many master's degrees or PhDs you have. Try to describe the Holy Spirit. Try to figure out how to describe what the Holy Spirit does and how the Holy Spirit works. Anytime you try to do this, you just end up feeling a little bit dumb. The Bible even says the Holy Spirit is like wind. Why does the wind blow? I don't know. What is wind? It's just all a little bit confusing, but more than any of that, the Holy Spirit is the invasive part of the Trinity. We talk about the Spirit as comforting and as encouraging, but frankly, I could preach without having a nervous stomach if I knew how to keep my sermon safe from the Holy Spirit. Trouble is... On more Sundays than not, in spite of our walls and closed doors, the Holy Spirit rips the sermons out of my hands and says more than I meant, disrupting the things I wanted to say. It's because of the Holy Spirit that Christians are people who are supposed to be in an unbalanced lifestyle, unstable, a little bit out of control, driven by and accountable to someone more interesting than ourselves or even our church. A Christian's life is driven by God's Spirit. And this disruption of the Holy Spirit is a gift. And I do mean a gift of the Holy Spirit. 
for my fellow type A friends out there, this is a terrifying thing. Your neatly ordered life, your perfectly organized schedules, your 10-year plans are not safe in the hands of the Holy Spirit. God will disrupt them, and you will be taken into some adventures and through some doors you never thought possible. One girl from Columbia, South America, and one boy from Minnesota ending up as pastors in Scottsboro, Alabama. (laughs) For my go-with-the-flow people out there, this might sound a little bit thrilling to you, but don't you worry, you're not safe from the Holy Spirit either. Even Jesus had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. When he was baptized, the Spirit of God came down out of heaven like a dove. But that dove drove him into the desert. It led him to the cross. So in response to this story of a spirit coming down like a gentle dove at Jesus' baptism, Barbara Brown Taylor once said, This dove has claws. The Holy Spirit is not some passive, quiet, calm person of the Trinity. Though the Holy Spirit does comfort and does bring peace, the Holy Spirit also comes with claws, tearing apart our human plans and thoughts and desires, sometimes ripping them to shreds. This dove has claws. At the Tower of Babel, God had to come down and with claws scatter his people to different parts of the earth. At this point in time, the whole earth spoke spoke one language. And the people desired to make a name for themselves. (laughs) What a mistake. It's not about making a name for ourselves. So God had to come down and confuse the language and scatter people across the globe. But if you really think about this image, and I mean really think about this image, I don't know what that means. Did God come down and take his big mighty hand and pick somebody up and just move them to another part of the earth? How did he do this? Did they just scatter to go find other people who spoke their new language? Also, as a side note, wouldn't it be nice that this is how we could learn a new language? How do you know how to speak Spanish? God just gave it to me. How do you know how to speak Chinese? God just gave it to me one morning. That would be the end of Rosetta Stone for everybody. Regardless of how this migration happened, what we can learn from this text is that God's intent was always for the ends of the earth. Because God created all of it. So he wasn't going to leave any part without his touch on it. If you don't send yourself out to the world, God will do something as crazy as changing your language so that you will be sent out. Being sent out is a part of our Christian calling. And if you don't do it willingly, the claws will come out and God will move you to where you need to be. We are gathered at church, built up in teaching and worship to be sent out. The problem with the Tower of Babel was that it was all about building up, quite literally building up to the skies. And that was it. 
There was no sending out. The Tower of Babel had become an inward-focused us mentality, taking care of ours. Its walls were trying to keep God out. Now, before you try to differentiate yourself from the text, no, no, we're not building a tower to heaven to make a name for ourselves. Think about all the times that we are at the center, the center of our own care, the center of our own success, the center of our own decisions. Sounds like a tower to me. In a lot of ways, our society is stuck here in Genesis chapter 11, building towers to make names for ourselves. I was in a preaching class one time, and I had my script out in front of me as I was telling a story that fit into the sermon. I began going in this story, and I was really excited. In my head, I'm thinking, I'm doing such a great job. I'm doing a wonderful job right now. I know I'm doing a great job. And I get mid-sentence, and the professor stops me, and from the back of the classroom says, hey, stop right there. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe I've chosen the wrong profession. Is this the end of my career? Am I really that bad of a preacher? No idea what he was going to say. And he looked at me and he goes, tell me the story. Stop reading your script. Tell me the story. It's your story. So just tell it to me. So I started over. This time I got through one sentence before he stopped me again. He stood up from the back of the classroom, a really tall man, marched to the front of the class, grabbed my script off the pulpit, threw it on the ground, looked at me in the face and said, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. He said, if I wanted to read your story, I'd buy your book. This, however, is preaching class. This was a professor who was pushing me to realize that the Holy Spirit needs the room to move, needs the room to disrupt the perfectly crafted things that I want to say. The Holy Spirit needs room to move. And my script was keeping the Holy Spirit out. This is the point. The Holy Spirit doesn't want me to talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to speak, so I needed to get out of the way. This was one of those moments like in Dead Poet Society. If you haven't seen this movie, go out this afternoon and watch it today. It's an amazing film. But in this movie, there's this beautiful scene where there's a young boy named Todd. And Todd's in English class with Professor Keating. Now, this professor isn't very by the book. He pushes his students to learn by reading good poetry and by writing it themselves. It's a novel idea, really. But Todd is a shy fellow, not very confident. More than anything, he's afraid. He's always building up walls to keep himself safely hidden behind them. But Todd has decided he's going to settle for just being enough to not get noticed. Keating isn't willing to let that happen. He sees something bigger for Todd's life. So in this scene, Keating calls Todd up to the front of the class and asks him to describe a picture that's on the wall, basically to create an impromptu poem, a.k.a. Todd's worst nightmare. 
Todd starts out not knowing what to say, stuttering at a loss for words. You can see him slouching behind his walls, terrified of the judgment of his peers and all those watching. Keating puts his hands over Todd's eyes and says, tell me what you see. Let your imagination run wild. Just tell me what you see. Todd begins describing it, stuttering as he gets going, and Keating starts yelling at Todd, what else? He prompts him with questions, daring him to take the risk to step out from his walls and see what could happen as Keating pushes and pulls. Todd lets go. He lets go of control and steps out of his walls. He gets louder. He starts shouting back. He has quick answers off the cuff, just creating a poem. And in this scene, Todd breaks through. Keating backs away as Todd begins ranting, and Todd ends his poem like this. Truth is like a blanket, like a blanket that always leaves your feet cold. You push it, you stretch it, it'll never be enough. You kick at it, beat it, it'll never cover any of us. From the moment we enter crying to the moment we leave dying, it will just cover your face as you wail and cry and scream. His poem ends with an exclamation that truth doesn't make you comfortable. That's not truth's job. Truth is a blanket that always reminds you there's more to life. And truth, truth brings pain. Daring to love brings pain. The pain of loss, disappointment, the pain of failing the one you care about. The best part of this scene is that when Todd finishes his poem, Professor Keating looks at the boy and he says, Don't you forget this. This is the sort of business the Holy Spirit is in, disrupting our days, our lives, our worlds, taking you somewhere, leading you to something you never thought possible. When the Holy Spirit disrupts the words that come out of this pulpit, when the Holy Spirit disrupts your life, the Holy Spirit leaves you with this line, don't you forget this. From my point of view, and possibly yours too, the Holy Spirit can be the worst colleague in ministry and in life. The Holy Spirit is hard to work with. Why work with someone so disruptive, someone so pushy? Because the flip side of a disruptive spirit are moments where you look back and think, man, I better not forget that. Todd sits down and backs away in English class instead of trusting where his teacher is leading, then there's nothing to remember. If you sit down and back away, then there's nothing to remember. You have to let the disruption of the Holy Spirit hit you. Then you'll have something to remember. Then the Holy Spirit will whisper or maybe even yell, don't you forget this. I want to end with this. We become scared of the word possession because we always equate it to the demonic. We're afraid of possession because we've heard about it from horror films and exorcisms and demons. Possession is being taken over by something that makes you do things. Something outside of us takes over. 
But as Christians, we depend on possession. Possession by the Holy Spirit. We are right to be scared of it. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't possess you so that you'll smile at your neighbor or wear your seatbelt. If all God wanted us to be is nice, he wouldn't need to send his spirit, much less die on a cross. We're right to be scared of the Holy Spirit because he possesses us so that we have the courage to talk about our faith with our families, parents, children, spouses. The Spirit possesses us so we will serve our neighbors even if it means we have to suffer. I thank God for possession. Because if God's Spirit didn't possess me, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. If God's Spirit didn't possess me, I would never get behind a pulpit. The anxiety would cripple me. If God's Spirit didn't possess us, we wouldn't send missionaries around the world to proclaim God's good news to sometimes hostile environments or roll up our sleeves to help our neighbors. The problem at the Tower of Babel was that instead of being possessed by God, they tried to possess God. They tried to be in control. Huge mistake. God is too big. For us to possess. And a God that we could possess, well, that wouldn't be worth our time. A God we could possess wouldn't be worthy of our worship. We would be left trying to save ourselves. Instead, God fills us with himself, possesses us with his spirit, and then sends us out to a world that needs him. We depend on possession, on being possessed by the God who is exactly what our world needs. It is thanks to the work of the Holy Spirit that the Cumberland Presbyterian Church has spread to Colombia, Guatemala, South Korea, Japan, Hong Kong, the Philippines, Cambodia, Laos, Mexico, Brazil, Haiti, and even Australia to countries we can't name because the gospel isn't legal. The CP Church is not in the business of building a tower big enough to possess God. The CP Church is however, in the business of being possessed and sent out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth, not because it's comfortable or easy, but because this dove has claws. That is being possessed by the Spirit. When I think about the doors that have opened to the CP Church, both here and abroad, I am overwhelmed by its majesty and its bigness, I am so overwhelmed that sometimes I have to stop and remind myself not to forget it. On Pentecost, we remember that we are sent out into the world to proclaim the gospel. And we remember that we work side by side with the worst, most disruptive colleague, the Holy Spirit. Every once in a while, the Holy Spirit will possess us, and it's only every once in a while, because it's all we can handle. And the Holy Spirit will remind us that it's got claws. It will possess you. Frankly, you'll never get used to it.
But the more open we are to the disruptive work of God, the more moments we will accumulate for our scrapbooks, moments that we don't want to forget. Don't get stuck building your own Tower of Babel because the claws will come out and that tower will not stand. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we pray that you come down and that you show us where you are leading us. Teach us to be faithful people to your calling. That as you guide us into this community or into other communities, that you might remind us that we stand on you, a solid foundation. That there is no need for a tower of Babel, because we are possessed by the Holy Spirit. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.